morning's reading is from Matthew 18, 21 through 35. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say to you, if two of you agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. That's just an extra, because actually this week's reading is from the tw- for verse 21 through 35. Then Peter came up and said to him, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me, and I forgive him? As many as seven times, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him to prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant. I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me, and you should not, and should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to everyone you, to, will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Thank you, Courtney. Thanks for the extra, too. Love that we love the Bible. Well, in Tim Keller's book entitled Forgive, he recounts uh, this story. He says, in June 2020, Elizabeth Brewing or Brunig of the New York Times tweeted this. She tweeted, there's just something unsustainable about an environment that demands constant atonement, but actively disdains the very idea of forgiveness. So she just throws out a little tweet, and then there's like lots of response because she quickly was inundated with upset emails and soon deleted what she had written out of concern for the distress that she had caused. So it was just an outlash just from this little tweet. However, she later uh, explained in an interview uh, that, that there's a culture that we are living in that outra- has an outraged sense of 
justice and a desire to make people atone for their sins. She said this, I see in American culture how offended people seem by the very idea of forgiveness itself. They seem to find it immoral, and I think that it is very disturbing. So that's from a secular author, someone who's writing for the New York Times, and they're observing rightly what is being experienced in our culture. Some use the the term cancel culture, and there's just this reality where... um, where there's just a demand to pay a debt. There's a demand on all different kinds of levels. There's a demand from a personal standpoint to pay a debt. There's a demand because there's an awareness that others have experienced wrong, so a debt needs to be paid. And the idea of forgiveness is being increasingly rejected in our culture. And I'd say I'd say I've just seen a swell of this over the time since we even planted this church over the last five, six, seven years. Just of this intensity that's out there. Now, I'm not saying there's not a place. There's certainly a place for justice when illegal things happen and taking that, and I think that's right. But there's just this heart out there. And, and the air that we breathe, and we must guard against the tendency to have forgiveness be something that we just receive for ourselves. But forgiveness is something that we're called to extend to others. It's not just something that we should receive for ourselves, but it's something that we're called to extend to others. Now, as we engage this text this morning, I want to read a passage of Scripture that we should kind of have in view as we engage with this text. So I'm just going to read. It's just words from Jesus. Earlier in this book, Matthew chapter 7, Jesus said this. He said, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but, not, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log uh, in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Why would I read that passage? That's not the passage I'm preaching from. I read that passage at the outset because when we come to the topic of forgiveness in the text of Scripture, particularly when the the body is gathered and you're listening to a message about the topic of forgiveness, the temptation is, as you hear words shared, there's some twitch that happens in your elbow that just starts to do this. This person, did you hear that? Or you functionally can have that thought about someone who's not even seated there, the invisible person who's not seated next to you that you wish was seated next to you right now, and you want them to hear those things. You functionally, in your mind, have your hands moving a face towards the things that are in this text. That's the temptation that we have when we come to forgiveness. And so what I want to 
exhort you to do. I want to do this lovingly because I, because I love you. Don't, don't listen to this for someone who's not in the room or for someone who is in the room or for some family member that's someplace else. Find yourself in this passage. Because as Jesus told this story, he wanted his disciples and he wants us to find ourselves in this passage. And he wants to speak to us about how we are engaging with the truths that he is talking about. So resist the temptation to think that I'm talking about someone outside of here. I believe God wants to speak to each of us individually as we open his word together. And so as we open his word together, I think we need his help. So let's just pray. Father, we need your help this morning. We need your help because we need to be most aware as we have been singing this morning. We've been singing about your forgiveness of us. We've been singing about the cross of Christ, and I pray that you would direct our gaze there to the King of kings. Lord, in this matter of forgiveness, would you open our eyes to the dangers that we see in this passage? Would you open our eyes to the wonders that we see in this passage? And I pray that the, the reality of the call to forgive isn't a weight, but rather something that we freely give because we've been forgiven. So help us, Lord, this morning. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, amen. When we come to this subject, we can experience, at least I've experienced, just what Peter did. I totally think if I was there uh, when Peter was there, I might have just kind of pushed him out of the way and asked this question before he did, right? First two verses, then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? They might not understand the significance of him asking that about seven times because it was common among rabbis to encourage people to forgive a brother for repeated sin up to three times, up to three times. So that's, they were encouraged up to three times, but then after three times, no more forgiveness. So Peter, as he's going to Jesus, he's like, so how many do you want me to do, Lord? I'll do double. I'll do a little more than double. Like up to seven times do we forgive them? And then Jesus just says, no, up to 70 times seven. And before you get your phone out and start to do the math, and then you kind of tally that, well, I'm just going to keep a list so that I can, I can just check it off. No, Jesus, let's be clear. Jesus is saying, like, no, there's not a limit to forgiveness. There's not a limit to it. I want to make that clear, but I want to share with you a parable. That's what Jesus is saying to Peter and is speaking to us. I want, I want to share with you something because you're, you're talking about rules right now. You're trying to, to, to live out your life in a way like, oh, this, this rule that, that you need to follow, and if you check off a box, you're good. No, I want you to get at something much deeper. I want, to, I want you to get at the heart issue that is going on. 
And so whenever Jesus tells a parable, he's not telling a parable just so that we can all have a nice story, right? Like we could sit on a stool, I could open it up and, you know, have story time. No, he, he intentionally tells stories for us to identify with someone in the story, in the parable. And, and through it, he graciously and lovingly brings conviction. So let this passage have its, have its effect because it had an effect on the original hearers and it's meant to have an effect on us. So let's, let's walk through it slowly. So open, have your Bibles open. We're going to look as he tells it starting in verse 23. He says, Therefore, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle, his, to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. So as we come to this individual, we find this individual is a debtor. He's someone who owes a debt. And you're like, what in the world is a talent? And what does that mean? Well, maybe you have one of those Bibles that has like little footnotes in it. And if you look in, in the footnote, it says a talent was a monetary unit of worth. So it was money, and it was about 20 years wages for a laborer. 20 years wages. Let that sink in you. One talent, 20 years wages. How much did this guy owe? 10,000 talents. So like, 200,000 years wages. You're like, that's just ridiculous. Like, that's, how did he get that kind of debt? What did he steal something? Did he do it in screw? We don't know how he, he gets, racks up this debt. But Jesus is telling this parable about this individual. That's the weight. He's trying to put it in monetary value, right? Someone with kind of an average American income it might be 10, 15, 20 billion dollars is what he's referring to. That's the kind of debt this individual has. So the story goes on. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. Imagine that. Like, that, that's what's going to pay the debt. What's going to pay the debt is he's going to be sold, he and his whole family. So not just wrecking the comfort of his life, likely his family being broken up, sent out different ways, completely screwing up his family tree forever. That's what's in front of him. He realizes the dire situation that he finds himself in. Not only that he owes a debt, but he realizes the consequences that are going to happen, and this is how he responds. Look back at your Bibles. So the servant, of course, of course, we would with much less magnitude fall on our knees. And so the servant falls on his knees because there's nothing else for him to do. He can't do anything else, and he implores him and says, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. He doesn't even realize what's coming out of his mouth. He's just so desperate. No, it'll happen. Please, 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 please. And something amazing happens. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him 
and forgave him the debt. Released him and forgave him the debt. What a picture. What a picture of what God has done for us in Christ. This servant was pleading. There was nothing that he could do to pay the debt, and he's pleading. And the king releases him from the debt. Doesn't release him just from some of the debt. He isn't like, you know what? I'll forgive you half, but you just need to keep doing other stuff. No, he fully and completely releases him, and that's such a picture of what Christ has done on the cross. So when we come to him and we repent of our sins and we ask for forgiveness, he forgives us all of our sins. There's nothing we have to continue to do. There's not just like partial, okay, he paid for most of them and I still have some stuff that I need to do. No, it's full and complete. We have just to understand that picture. And I wish you would think that this story would be done right there. His debt is forgiven. That's the magnanimous kind of debt. It's forgiven. And you think, well, the story's over. I mean, that's right off into the sunset. That's just absolutely, completely amazing. But the story doesn't, the story doesn't end there. Because this man is not only a debtor, he is a creditor. Someone can extend credit. There's others that can owe him things. And look how the story unfolds. So look back at your Bibles. After he's forgiven such a crazy huge debt, it says, but when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who he owed him a hundred denarii. There's another word we don't use every day. What's, what's a denarii? Well, again, you get these little footnotes. It's helpful in your Bibles that can say, you know, a denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. So just a day's wage, and this individual owed him a hundred days wages. So depending on maybe income level, it could be, you know, twenty dollars to $50,000 is what this individual owed him. So when you read that, you're just like, that's, that's nothing. Of course, the next thing that's going to happen is going to be like, yeah, this is, you're good. I've just been forgiven a bunch. But that's not what happens. So he owed him 100 denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I will pay you. So the story seems to be playing itself out again. But he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. His family had been spared the shame and suffering of prison. But what's the picture that we get? It says, it says he choked him. I mean, that's a, that's a, a violent picture. He's not just sitting behind a desk being smug like, uh, like a banker who's like, no, you gotta, 
going to pay your debt. We're going to foreclose on your home. No, he, he's got his hands around his neck. And he's saying, pay what you owe. There's blood cursing through his veins. There's, there's a demand that you and I both know in that moment, there's no way that anyone who is in debt can instantly pay the debt no matter how, how much pressure you put on them and no matter how much danger you put on their life, there's no way that you're going to exact that debt from them. But that's where he's at. Pay what you owe. It's stark. It's a contrast. It's disturbing. It's concerning. But it reveals the true condition of of his heart. And, And it reveals it reveals a danger that we can experience in our own lives if we find ourselves in a place of focusing on what we feel that we are owed in, in a particular relationship or in a particular situation. We focus only on that. When we don't focus on what, what has been done for us, when we, when we get hyper-focused on that, that's the end result of what can happen. You might be saying to yourself, well, I've never, I've never choked anyone no desire. How violent is that? We've, we may not have, have done this with our hands, but you need to ask yourself, have I, have I done this in my heart? I knew a, an individual when I was in college. Whenever I would talk to her, uh, about her past, particularly about her family and her sister, who I had never met, never did meet, didn't even understand the, the story of their history or the details. All I knew is when I would interact with her about her sister, it was like, and this didn't physically happen, but it was like she went from like the happy hobbit to Gollum, if you have that picture. That, that's the stark contrast. The happy hobbit who just can't wait for second breakfast, you know, onesies, twosies, all those things, just happy to, to this, the, and not the Gollum that's, that seems to be kind of tracking towards doing well, but the one that's just seething. And, and frankly, from, in my experience, that was kind of the first time I had seen something like that, and it just happened every time. She, she would interact about her sister. It didn't happen all the time we interacted, but boy, something happened. Because there was, there was unforgiveness in her heart, and it became controlling, and that can happen to us. That's the danger that we need to put ourselves in the place of the servant, we need, to, we need to ask ourselves, Lord, am I in that place? Is there someone that I'm saying you need to pay the debt? Because we might not use our hands, but in our hearts we do, and we do things like we get silent on somebody. We don't talk to them. We, 
We say unkind things. We look for an opportunity to give a criticism. We need, we need to be sobered if, if that is the case. And if it's not the case, there, there's going to be the temptation at some point for that to be the case because there are just going to be interactions we're going to have with people. There's going to be this, pay what you owe. And if it overtakes us, if it controls us, we begin to take actions to kind of try to intentionally exact what they owe to us whether that's making their life miserable in some way. Like I said, some of us, we do that with the silent treatment or we try to do it. Or maybe it's the, the person that's in the family that, that you're in and relatives and, and you're just scheming of ways when you get together for that family function that you've got, you've got like five zingers that you're ready to just pull right out and throw them. There's any different applications. But friends, there's, there's no end to that. There's no release. There's no end to finding something. I was talking with someone yesterday about uh, the movie Princess Bride, if you've ever seen that movie. If you, it's a silly movie. It's fun. A lot of little fun things in there. And, and I'm going to give something away from the movie if you've never seen it, but when you start watching the movie, you know it's going to happen anyway. So I'm really not giving anything away. So there's a guy in the movie that uh, his dad was killed by a six-fingered man, right? You're all kind of like, if you've seen the movie, you're like, you know, you can say what he's saying. But he's, but that's, he's devoted his life to kill the six-fingered man. And throughout the movie, like, he's continuing talking about that, and he's got his whole spiel together. And some of you, if I asked you to stand up, could probably quote it for me right now. But that's like the goal. And then, obviously, at the end of the movie, that's one of the things that happens. And there's so many other things that happen. I'm not really giving away the movie. But what happens is the six-fingered man, you know, meets his demise. And what happens to this guy? I don't know what to do with my life now. His whole life had been consumed by, by exacting justice. Now, there's one big flaw in the movie in this regard because they kind of laugh it off and they talk about some things and they talk about some options for him. But in real life, when, when someone finally gets to that place where they feel like they have exacted the revenge that's needed, they've, they've gotten the payment for what is owed, there's no peace. There's no release. There's often an awareness of I need to do something else because I can't satisfy this insatiable desire because what just happened is not enough. Sadly, oftentimes there's great regret. There's great regret. Because when given the opportunity as the creditor to extend forgiveness, we become like this unforgiving servant who became a prisoner. As, as you look back at your Bibles in verse 31, the story goes on. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed and went and, went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, you wicked servant, 
I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. That's sobering. It's a sobering statement. I don't believe Jesus is speaking to that you can lose your salvation because you have a season where you're struggling with forgiveness with someone. I don't think that's what Jesus is talking about, but certainly Jesus wants us to be sobered by this reality. If our heart is, has become so hard, we, we find ourselves in a prison of our own making. One commentator even said the world's worst prison is the prison of an unforgiving heart. Because when, when we refuse to forgive others, when we look for many, uh, uh, the, the many great long list of justifications of why we shouldn't forgive them, we find ourselves in, in imprisonment and even torment. So there's a danger that exists in the heart that is focused on pay what you owe. Because those thoughts can consume us. We jump to every opportunity to slander or gossip or hurt or whatever the case may be. But the reality is, is there's no end and we're just punishing ourselves. And so when I ask you the question, is there someone in your life? That if you're honest in your heart, you're saying, pay what you owe. You might not say it out loud. You might not say it around people that you know because you don't want other people to know. But you, you've thought it. You've meditated on it. You wish you could do something about it. We want to ask ourselves that question. But the, the emphasis here, though, though Jesus is getting at our heart, the thing that Jesus wants us to see, he wants us to see the king. Because he's the one telling the story. He is the king. He is the one who forgave the debt and I'm, I was going to jump into an illustration of a, of a passage in Luke, and I think I'm just going to leave that to maybe next week or another time. So if you're on your Bible app and you're like, why aren't we doing point two? Because uh, we're skipping it for now. But in the midst of this, in the midst of the weightiness of, of what Jesus is communicating, we need to go back to seeing the Father, because that's what he wants us to get at. If, we're, if our hearts are so hard that we are saying, pay what you owe, is it revealing that we have not basked in the wonder of what we have received? 
Have we not basked in the wonder of what the King has done and how much the King has forgiven us? Because the response for us is to forgive. The response is for us to forgive. But how do we have that response? Because we'll, we, can, we can immediately be tempted to do what Peter did and start right off out of the gate, Lord, how much do I need to forgive? But Jesus immediately goes right to the king. And he wants us to see forgiveness begins with being forgiven. Forgiveness begins with being forgiven. So when we read passages from Ephesians that say, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, we don't just stop at that part in the verse. We keep going because it says, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. So even with the command that comes to forgive others, Paul says, as God in Christ forgave you. And Jesus is holding out the reality of what he was going to go and do on the cross, what the king has done as God in Christ forgave you. How differently do we look at the answer to the question, how much should we forgive? How differently we look at that answer when Jesus says, no, 70 times 7. When we rightly understand what we have been forgiven, when we rightly see the magnitude of what we have done and that God at any point in time, if he chose, could come and exact that debt. At any point in time, he could come. And yet he sent his son to forgive us of our sins. And when we understand the magnitude of that, We don't ask the question. We don't ask the question because we're aware. Yeah, this is hard, but I need to look at the magnitude of this whole situation. This is hard, and it is hard, but let's look at the magnitude of what Christ has done. And so right now, we're going to take communion together. We're not done looking at this passage. We're going to talk about it a little bit more. But I think it would be appropriate for us at this moment to just stop and be reminded of what Christ has done. And so the ushers are going to grab the elements, and they're just going to start passing them. They're going to start passing them. And so you can take the cup and the bread and then, and then hold on to them because we're going to take them together. So, but, but I want you, to, as, as they're logistically passing those things out, as the worship team comes up, and they're going to play a little bit of music as they're passing it out, I, I want to share something with you. I want to share a, a story with you about a man named George Wilson. So in 1830, a man named George Wilson was arrested for mail theft. The penalty for which was hanging. After a time, President Andrew Jackson gave Wilson a pardon, but he refused to accept it. The authorities were puzzled because they were like, what should we do? Like, he's been pardoned, and he's refusing to accept it. Should we let him go, or should we hang him? They're like, what do we do? 
So they consulted Chief Justice John Marshall, who handed down this decision. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. Friends, if you've never accepted God's pardon, now is the time to accept his pardon because it's offered freely to you to trust in the Lord Jesus. And if you have accepted his pardon, understand how great that pardon is. And we're going to take a few minutes and the worship team is just going to sing a song for us to to reflect upon. Maybe it'll be a prayer for you. But the reality is, is when a pardon is given, a sin has happened, a crime has been committed, but it's been forgiven. And so let's Let's bask in the wonder of the forgiveness that has been bestowed upon us. Let's, let's listen, let's pray, and then we'll take the elements together. And then we'll, we'll jump back into the text a little bit before we end our time together. So you can pray where you're at, you can listen, and let's just reflect upon what Christ has done. Friends, it's important when we talk about forgiveness to keep our forgiveness in front of us. And that is why we are wanting to remind one another of the gospel. We remind one another of what Christ has done so regularly because we want to keep it in front of us. We want that to be where, where we look. Because for us to forgive, for us to forgive it needs to be fueled by something, and it's fueled by love. Ultimately, it's fueled by the love that Christ has shown us. Because only Jesus can, able, can enable our, our hearts to forgive. Because he's the one that transforms us. As Colossians 3 tells us, Bear with one another, and if one has complaint against another, forgive each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let us look to the love of Christ. Let's be reminded of what Christ has done. But let's remember, friends, the Bible isn't saying, oh, it's easy to forgive. This, is, this should not be a hard thing for you. It's not saying it should feel natural in, in the broken world that we live in with the flesh against the spirit thing that we have going on inside of us until we see Jesus face to face. It's not going to feel natural to forgive. That, the, the thing where our hearts kind of go is like we're, the, the hands are getting together. But the Bible is saying it's Christian to forgive. The Bible is simply telling us no that you have been forgiven much. And when you know you have been forgiven much, you, you find 
rather than the hands starting to form to exact what's owed. God does something. And your hands turn in worship to the one who forgave you so much you will be taking and spending eternity thanking him and praising him, saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and might and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing and every word that can come to our mouth and we'll, we'll be stumbling over our words because of all of our awareness of what he has done. And it's my prayer that as a church, we individually and corporately would come and be aware of that regularly, continually, so that when we're faced with needing to forgive, when we need to answer the question, is there someone that you need to forgive? Is there someone that you need to forgive? Look to your king. Stop in the moment. Stop at verse 27 that your debt has been paid. And may you May you share what you have received, and that's extravagant grace. Because Psalm 32 says this of us. Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord counts no iniquity, and in whose spirit there is no deceit. Friends, may we look to our Savior as we are confronted with the reality and as we breathe the air of a culture that wants to spurn hate, that wants to exact debt. And may we point them to the one who has forgiven that debt, who is their only hope and who is our only hope as we consider the privilege we have to extend forgiveness as we have been forgiven. Let's pray. Father, I'm aware as we come to you in prayer that we need you. We need you. In this moment as we come to you, Lord, if you are, are bringing conviction and if you're here this morning and the Lord's brought conviction that you need to forgive, you don't have to be in the place where you fully understand what that looks like. And I understand there's situations that are complicated, but you can come before the king right now and say, Jesus, show me afresh the forgiveness that I have been given and that I have received and help me to forgive. And some of you can right now in the quietness of the room, you can forgive. Yes, there's a place to go and ask for forgiveness. And if the Lord gives you that opportunity to do that this afternoon or in the coming weeks and months, you ask for forgiveness and extend that. But if that's not available, you, you still can forgive in your heart because it's ultimately a heart condition. So I pray that, Lord, we would experience that freedom rather than finding ourselves in the prison of an unforgiving heart. Lord, we find the freedom of forgiveness. Lord, we extend that to those around us. We ask this, Lord, in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Why don't we stand around?